from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a, a binary choice ahead of us, don't we? Yes, it's cable or satellite, the only way you're going to be able to watch TV. And now... Superbug! We can't sweep your butt beneath the rug. You're screwing up all kinds of drugs. Because so much of this week's news might be dispiriting, here's... Here's some good news from the BBC. A new class of antibiotics has been discovered by analyzing the bacterial warfare taking place in people's noses. Tests reported in the journal Nature found the resulting drug, Lugdunin, what you Lugdunin here, could treat superbug infections. The researchers at the University of Tübingen, <laughs> Tübingen here too long, in Germany said the human body is an untapped source of new drugs. The last class, last new class of antibiotics to reach patients was discovered way back in the 1980s. Nearly all antibiotics were discovered in soil bacteria, but this new research team turned to the human body. Uh, in the microscopic level, a struggle for space and food is taking place between rival species of bacteria in our bodies. One of the weapons they have long been suspected of using is antibiotics. Among the bugs that like to invade the nose is Staphylococcus aureus including the dreaded superbug strain MRSA found in the noses of 30% of the people. Why not everyone? The scientists discovered people with a rival bug, Staphylococcus lugdunensis, in their nostrils were less likely to have the other one. The German team used various strains of genetically modified lugdunensis to work out the crucial piece of genetic code that allowed it to win the fight to live among your nose hairs. They pinpointed a single crucial gene that contained the instructions for building a new antibiotic. Tests on mice showed the new antibiotic, Lugdunin, could treat superbug infections on the skin, including MRSA. It will take years of testing before Lugdunin could reach patients, and it may not prove to be successful. But you can buy it online right now. Call... No. But anyway, maybe a little little advance in our war against the superbugs. That's the good news on Hello, Welcome to the Show. Woke up today, my mind a whirl from head to toe with endless fear. Try to explain just what I see. You say to me I must be dreaming. You call my name the way I wished you would in my imagination. Now every single thing around me Filling me with this sensation In my searching around I've seen so many faces Now I've found the one I needed And the sun is rising I woke up today Like I wanted Since you walked Straight to feeling I woke up to Heaven knows it I go through the 
From the home of the homeless, the edge of America, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show on which there is really one really big story. (laughs) It's not the one you're thinking of. This Friday, the Olympics open in Rio. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr., Oh, there's so much. Starting in China, face down in the dirt with an iron post impaling his rump, the Chinese Olympic mascot, Huan Wan, has seen better days, according to the China Post. Once a proud spokesperson, a spokes mascot of the 2008 Beijing Games, the character, who's a Chinese good luck doll, now lies in a field outside an unfinished mall started during the pregame construction boom. He's one of six large mascot statues on the premises who have fallen down and can't get up. So call this number. And in the eight years since the high of the capital's enthusiasm for the Games, he um, can't get up. Photographed weeks before the Rio Olympics open, the mascots are a reminder of the high costs of hosting the event. Their derelict state, according to the China Post, reflects the challenges that China has faced in finding new uses for its Olympic investments. Many venues have fallen into disrepair, and some construction projects are left uncompleted in China. Now let's go to Rio. 
I mean, you know, theoretically. Vicariously, health experts in Brazil have awarded advice for the Olympic marathon swimmers, sailors, and windsurfers. Keep your mouth closed. No, it's not a political statement, despite the government's promises seven years ago to stem the waste that fouls Rio's expansive Guanabara Bay and the city's fabled beaches. Officials acknowledge their efforts to treat raw sewage and scoop up household garbage have fallen far short. Environmentalists and scientists now say Rio's waters are much more contaminated than previously thought. Bring a big glass. Recent tests by government and independent scientists revealed a veritable Petri dish of pathogens in many of the city's waters, from rotaviruses that can cause diarrhea and vomiting to drug-resistant superbugs. Researchers at the Federal University of Rio also found serious contamination at beaches like Ipanema, where many of the half-million Olympic spectators are expected to frolic. Foreign athletes will literally be swimming in human crap, and they risk getting sick from all those microorganisms, said Dr. Daniel Becker, a pediatrician who works in poor neighborhoods in Rio. That's a quote from the New York Times. Olympic officials concede their efforts have not addressed a fundamental problem. Much of the sewage and trash produced by the 12 million inhabitants of the regions continues to flow untreated into Rio's waters. Our biggest plague is basic sanitation, said the top environmental official in the state of Rio de Janeiro. The Olympics has woken people up to the problem. So keep your mouth shut. Yahoo Sports reports that a video posted online of a confrontation near Rio shows a crowd of protesters protesters grabbing the Olympic torch away from the Olympic procession before snuffing it out. The scene rapidly descends into chaos with Brazilian military police moving in to disperse the crowd with tear gas and rubber bullets. Loud bangs and explosions can also be witnessed on the video as the crowd scatters. The protest consisted mainly of government employees angered over delays in salary payments that have led to many people going more than two months without pay. Many Brazilians feel they've been neglected at the expense of hosting the Olympics. Subsequently, many have directed their anger over the country's faltering economy and social systems toward the Olympic torch. Last week in Sao Paulo, a protester attempted to steal the torch. Not the porch. Other incidents have seen protesters unsuccessfully try to extinguish it using fire extinguishers and buckets of water. The International Olympic Committee warned organizers of the Rio Olympics five years ago that construction contracts they drew up could give developers incentives to cut corners. Rio City government, responsible for the vast majority of games' infrastructure projects, has used public-private partnerships to get private firms to cover the cost of building venues in return for permission to build real estate on the sites afterwards. Rio's mayor has taken pride in the fact that 57% of the nearly $12 billion spent on the Olympics is private money garnered by using public-private partnerships on a scale never before seen at a games. Yet criticism over the quality of the work at the privately funded Olympic Village erupted this week with Australia saying housing was not safe or ready and other countries such as Italy, Argentina and New Zealand expressing concerns as well. In documents seen by Reuters, the IOC told the city five years ago it needed to carefully monitor its partners because they might pay more attention to their own commercial interests than delivering Olympic projects on time and to high standards. Face palm. Neither Rio City government nor the IOC responded to requests for comment. The IOC document reviewed by Reuters did not go into details about how problems might arise with contracts which marked a departure from previous games which were dominated by public spending. The tension between athletes and non-sponsors with the U.S. Olympic Committee and the International Olympic Committee has ratcheted up once again, according to ESPN. In recent weeks, the USOC sent letters to those who sponsor athletes but don't have sponsorship designation with the IOC 
or USOC, warning them about stealing intellectual property. Commercial entities may not post about the trials or games on their corporate social media accounts. Reads the letter written by USOC's chief marketing officer. This restriction includes the use of USOC's trademarks in hashtags such as Rio2016 or Team USA. The USOC also owns the trademark to go for the gold. The letter, letter, letter further stipulates that a company whose primary mission is not media-related cannot reference any Olympic results, cannot share or repost anything from the official Olympic account, and cannot use any pictures taken at the Olympics. The whole thing is ridiculous, says the CEO of Wazell, which the USC... USOC contacted after it published pictures of athlete Kate Grace after she won the 800 meters at trials. Wazell sanitized the photos by blurring images of Olympic property, but decided to leave the blog up. We need to give sponsors exclusivity to our intellectual property that is protected by U.S. law. This is the first Olympics in which the IOC has relaxed its long-standing Rule 40 in which non-sponsors and athletes can't mention their relationship for a month-long period in and around the Games. As part of a new compromise, they allowed companies that did not have an official relationship to run ads during the games, just as long as those ads started running in March and run continuously through the games. NBC, which paid about $1.2 billion to broadcast the Olympics, is so keen to maximize the audience for the opening ceremony, it lobbied unsuccessfully to change the spectacle's official running order, according to Bloomberg. In the traditional parade of nations, teams enter in alphabetical order. Organizers had considered a request to change the language of the ceremony from Portuguese to English, which would have put the U.S. athletes near the back, giving American audiences a reason to watch the full broadcast. As it is, the team will enter somewhere in the middle, because in Portuguese, the delegation is known as Estados Unidos. IOC rules require the official language of the opening ceremony has to be that of the host country, and NBC spokesman denied that the network lobbied to change the language. He didn't comment on whether NBC wanted to change the running order. In a conference call with financial consultants this week, NBC Universal Chief Executive Officer Steve Burke said NBC made $120 million in profit from the London Games. Quote, we're going to make a lot more than that in Rio, he said. NBC did succeed in moving swimming one of the most popular events with U.S. viewers to, to later start times, including some races that begin after midnight. It's win-win, said an NBC spokesperson. We both want the highest viewership possible. Swimming after midnight. Don't we want that? And the mayor of Rio, Eduardo Pace, is speaking out, saying the decrepit lodging of the, uh, at the Olympic Village is not his fault nor that of any of his constituents. In an interview with Agence France Presse, Pace blamed the shoddy conditions on an organizing committee whose membership is comprised of foreigners. It wasn't a Brazilian in charge of the Olympic Village, only foreigners, he added. The Trumpian? The Olympics! It's a movement! And we all need one every day. On a related subject, from Advertising Age, let me read the trades for you a little bit here. The competition for marketing and advertising executives who want to win during the Olympics can be as intense and fierce as the sporting events themselves, and for good reason. As the most iconic global brand in the world of sports, the Olympics can create word-of-mouth opportunities unlike any other event. For decades, the Olympics has been distinguished 
That's their grammar. As the single best advertising opportunity in the world. Companies are prevented from any form of direct Olympics-focused advertising unless they're official sponsors. A heady proposition with a price tag upward of $25 million. And traditionally, the province of worldwide mega brands. Nevertheless, the Olympics drives big opportunities and brands need to take advantage of the moment effectively. In approaching this task, it's important for brands to keep in mind that consumers are growing increasingly skeptical of traditional advertising. One way marketers can think about capitalizing the Olympic moment is through a well-executed influencer marketing program. Here are two primary keys to winning enduring branding Olympics gold through brand influencers. Brand ambassadors who believe in your company. And we'll be talking about your products and services well after the games are over. First, seek truly relevant opportunities for your brand. There will be no shortage of companies looking to hijack hashtags or plug their company to trending topics during the Olympics. These low-relevance gimmicks may be timely for a day, but have little to do with driving real, long-term impact. Relevance comes from knowing what events will trigger the right type of conversations with the right people, and then focusing on those areas. Best-selling author and marketing researcher Joner Berger Marketing professor at the Wharton School of Business. Wharton, I went there. I got great grades. Which suggests the brand should find a relevant trigger, a word, phrase, or event that gets customers to think about your brand. Linking your product or idea to prevalent triggers can help your own initiative succeed. A dramatic example is the Geico Hump Day ad, which sees a dramatic increase in views on Wednesdays, the day people are most likely to remember it and share it. And two, have a multi-pronged strategy to help capture both trending topics and the following purchases. Tap into active online social influencers, such as marketers and customers, and key professionals, such as fitness instructors or running clubs, and work with key retail influencers who can help mold the buying decision. Such influencers are a great way to find timely content that can easily expand your reach and relevance with the right people. Lululemon, Tom? Lululemon? That's right. Stance, Nike and Adidas are brilliant at using multiple channels. Companies that follow this approach maximize their capacity to win big during the 2016 Olympics and well into the future. But from another trade, Another story from Current, the trade publication of public radio and public television. Classical radio is playing an especially important role in the lives of Americans as a haven from the noise, rancor, and tumult inflaming the country in 2016. This fall, we have the opportunity to harmonize with our listeners doing a strong case that has the potential to bring more people into the classical family. Here are some ideas to help the on-air tone and messaging of your drive. Consider a theme of peace, calm, and quiet. We live in a noisy media landscape, and it's only going to get noisier leading up to November 8th. Your station is a haven, an oasis. The tone of the station is consistent. Make those values resonate with the audience. Make a listener-focused case. When crafting live scripts and spots, try to remove references to we, us, and our tell the Democratic Convention that. Credit listeners for voluntarily supporting something that positive, positively affects their own lives and benefits the community. Strive to keep on-air scripts to 100 words or fewer. 
to help maintain good pacing. Classical music and giving are matters of the heart. Emotive language is a powerful motivator. Financial figures and operating costs, not so much. With countless music and media choices available, including algorithmically curated pure play options like Spotify and Pandora, it's important to highlight the distinctiveness of your station. Provide examples of how local arts and culture organizations connect to the community. Tighten sustainer language. Use only a handful of phrases and repeat them several times an hour in different contexts. Make sure the entire on-air staff uses them throughout the day and the campaign. Don't assume the audience knows what sustaining memberships are all about. Use deadlines and goals strategically. Determine whether a deadline is station-centric or listener-centric. A 10 a.m. deadline for taking advantage of a match or challenge benefits the listener. On the other hand, hourly financial goals can be station-centric if they have little meaning other than to meet an hourly goal. Think about setting financial goals or deadlines that the audience can rally around. Address the listener as an individual while stressing that there is strength in numbers. If your station offers premiums, try to choose or create gifts that reflect the peace, calm, and quiet theme, such as a CD box set of peaceful classical music. Ignore the noisy movements. Try making a pact with listeners. If they respond robustly during shortened pledge breaks, the station can fill their lives with more music, even during a fundraiser. Well, that calmed me right, just the thought of that calmed me right down. It's peaceful when I read the trades for you, and then copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Among the many kerfuffles stirred up by the uh, Democratic National Convention this week, in the wake of Michelle Obama's rather um, well-received address to the convention, Fox News Channel commentator Bill O'Reilly took time out from uh, penning a uh, goodbye letter to his ex-boss, Roger Ailes, to uh, give this little bit of a history lesson in reaction to Michelle Obama saying that she wakes up every day in a White House that was built by slaves. The history behind a remark is fascinating. Slaves did participate in the construction of the White House. Records show about 400 payments made to slave masters between 795 and 1801. In addition, free blacks, Whites and immigrants also worked on the massive building. There were no illegal immigrants at that time. If you could make it here, you could stay here. Slaves that worked there were well-fed and had decent lodgings provided by the government. Yes, he said that. He didn't just say it. He's doing something about it. I lost 15 pounds the first week, and I tiled two bathrooms. I tried pills, diets. Nothing worked. Then I got into Bill's program, and I shed pounds like crazy. <laughs> Even built a rec room. Exercise didn't help. Crazy fad diets didn't help. This really helped. I'm 30 pounds slimmer. And I hand-sanded a huge credenza. Tired of trying everything to lose weight? You ain't been tired of trying nothing yet. Now, from Cable's most spin-free pundit, comes the first and only weight loss system that really, really works. And it's proved by history. 
The White House Slave Diet lets you eat real food, the same kind eaten by the well-fed folks who built the home of every president since John Adams. But the key is the plan that comes with the food. It's not about willpower. If you're a slave, you just do what you're told, and you watch the pounds come sliding off or, or falling off. You don't actually watch. You're, you're too busy. I didn't have to blame myself for being overweight anymore. There was a real big, nasty guy with a whip to do it for me. It was the decent lodgings that really had an impact on me. You know, even if it's clean, sleeping on the floor is a really big motivator. Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly, author of the forthcoming book, Killing Time. I've never had a weight problem, but I've known and worked for plenty of people to do. That's why I devised, with the help of historians, not doctors, a diet that's proved to work. Just ask yourself... Have you ever seen an overweight slave? Don't believe what the media tells you. This is one diet that's guaranteed to work. Because if you don't lose 10 pounds your very first week, you're going to be very, very sorry. The White House Slave Diet is not sold in stores, which should tell you all you need to know about stores. To get started on the weight loss program that's so effective it should be unconstitutional, call the number on your screen. Take it from me. Those chains didn't make me look fat. It's a lazy afternoon And the beetle bugs are zooming And the tulip trees are blooming And there ain't another human in view But us too It's a lazy afternoon And the farmer leaves his reaping In the meadow cows are sleeping And the speckled trout stop leaping upstream As we dream Unfolding like a rose If you hold my hand And sit real still You can hear the grass As it grows It's a hazy afternoon And I know a place that's quiet Except for daisies running riots And there's no one passing by it to see Come spend this lazy afternoon
Just a little bit of historical perspective. In 2005, U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney dismissed accusations that Guantanamo Bay was, in the words of a Red Cross report, a place of humiliating acts. He said of the prisoners, the U.S. detainees at Guantanamo Bay, quote, They're living in the tropics. They're well fed. They've got everything they could possibly want. Unquote. This is the show. And now here's a story you almost definitely missed about how good an example we can be. News from outside the bubble. A shocked United Nations has called on Australia, Australia, to compensate victims of abuse in youth detention facilities. The global body noted children as young as 10 were being held in inhumane conditions and treated cruelly, activities that could amount to a breach of Australia's human rights obligations. We are shocked by the video footage that has emerged from the Dondale Youth Detention Center in the Northern Territory, said High Commissioner for Human Rights. The UN says most of the children who were held at the detention facility are deeply traumatized. This uh, footage came to light on an Australian TV documentary series called Four Corners this week. It could violate the Convention on the Rights of the Child, said the Commissioner, and the Convention Against Torture. <laughs> that, that old thing. Australia is a party to both treaties. He uh, praised the, the UN fella, the Royal Commission into the Northern Territories Juvenile Detention and Child Protection Systems, as an important step. The Prime Minister of Australia announced the inquiry's terms of reference less than 72 hours after the documentary aired. The UN f said the footage of the facility, Don Dale, showed an immediate need for regular inspections of detention facilities in Australia. Six boys who were tear-gassed at Don Dale two years ago are suing the Northern Territory government over the incident. The Northern Territory government's countersued two of those young people over an alleged escape attempt. The cases were dropped after they were exposed by the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Events at Dondale clearly show the immediate need to establish a system of regular visits to ensure that what happened there never happens again in Australia, said the commissioner. Kids were um, held in solitary, tear-gassed, hooded, strapped to tables, leapt upon by guards and pummeled, thrown to the floor. You know, Abu Ghraib, Gitmo stuff, 
what, exa- what a good example we were. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. This one right here. Now, a couple of uh, items of news on our friend the Atom. A Pokemon Go character has been discovered at the Fuk Nuclear Exclusion Zone. Japan wants the zone to be classed as a no-go area for Pokemon Go players. What could go wrong? TEPCO has asked Niantic and the Pokemon Company to prevent Pokemon creatures from appearing in areas near the Fuk Nuclear Meltdown. TEPCO hopes this would prevent Pokemon Go players from venturing into dangerous areas. I think they're right. For once, I think TEPCO's right. And Britain's new government has suddenly cast doubt over the project with the French energy company EDF and Chinese investors to build Britain's first nuclear plant in decades. They delayed a decision on the plant just a day after the company's board voted to proceed. But wait! In a surprise move, the government said it wanted to give the Hinkley Point project further consideration, postponing approval until early autumn, and leading to concerns the plant's construction will be pushed back further. EDF and Chinese partner China General are responsible for the upfront costs of the project, but Britain has committed to pay a price that's twice as high as current market levels for the power to be generated by the plant. Britain has, it won't be paying that price. The people of Britain will. Because of the fall in energy prices over the past 12 months, the project does look very expensive. There have been a lot of calls for other projects to be considered or for this to be taken back to the drawing board, said an analyst at the investment bank Jefferies. A consult, another uh, investment consultant said the British government wants to show investment can flourish after the Brexit, but one possible solution could be that the U.K. government pushes for a renegotiation of the Hickley Point deal. This could potentially mean the withdrawal of EDF, the French company, from the project. Potential security risks have also been cited. Last year, the now chief of staff of the new prime minister raised concerns about Chinese investment in Hinkley Point. He said, his name is Nick Timothy, Security experts were worried the Chinese could use their role as an investor in the project to build weaknesses into computer systems that would allow them to shut down Britain's energy production at will. Yeah. Clean, cheap, safe, too dangerous to meet her, our friend the Adam. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, of course, by now, Hillary Clinton delivered the climactic speech at the Democratic National Convention. It got better ratings than the Republican Convention, apparently, for every night except the climactic night at which Donald Trump got higher ratings than Hillary Clinton, even though he asked his supporters not to watch her and then admitted he had. See, that was the the problem. It was him. You, uh, You may know that among the minor little embarrassments that erupted during convention week. Hillary Clinton had changed her position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, so-called trade agreement, although it involves a number of other issues as well, uh, apparently to draw some supporters of Bernie Sanders who had campaigned against the TPP. This week, close Clinton family associate Terry McAuliffe, currently governor of Virginia, told Politico that uh, he thought when she was elected, Hillary Clinton would eventually sign, agree to the TPP. 
That aroused some uproar, so he clarified his statement to NBC. You can only go forward if the changes that she wants are implemented, that everybody's in agreement, the labor folks would be in agreement, and others be in agreement. She's not going forward as it is today. So unless the changes are made, she doesn't support it. President Obama does want this, as you know. Kind of walking back the cat, which he continued to do later in the week at an appearance before a union group. First of all, Hillary is against TPP. And she is always going to stay against DPP. Let me be crystal clear about that. Um, you may want to polish the crystal a little bit then. Chelsea Clinton made a uh, well-regarded introduction to her mother's speech. Bill Clinton made a well-regarded speech. Joe Biden made a well-regarded speech. It's almost as if it was four days of speeches. But now, ladies and gentlemen, they're back on the campaign trail, and it's another edition of Clinton Something next here on the show. Clinton something, the campaign years. Hey, hon, you on the bus? I'm in the hotel. The bus jiggles more. Got it, got it. (laughs) The picture's jiggling anyway. Well, I'm trying to multitask. That's what Chelsea calls it. Hey, wasn't she something? Yes. (laughs) And weren't you something? (laughs) Well, I try. And? Well, sometimes I still get there. And was somebody else something? Oh, babe, you were more than something. You were something else. You were rocking in the free world. That was played at Bernie's rallies. Well, then you were rocking till the break of dawn. You were you, you rocked. And, and, uh, and you saw the shots of Bernie during my speech? Yeah. It looked like he'd eaten too many pickles at the Carnegie Deli. Oh, please, don't go there. Well, in all fairness to it, the corned beef is pretty good. I mean, please don't say stuff like that. <laughs> Relax. This is an email. But uh, I thought he just looked old. Mm-hmm. He's five years older than you. Mm. I guess strict monogamy just doesn't keep you young. Just kidding. He looked like he just found out presidents use platforms for toilet paper. Only if it's a four-ply platform. But, uh, damn, I was really impressed with our little girl. (laughs) Who knew she was so poised? I kind of did. Well, sure, but... Anyway, you think General Allen maybe was our Rudy Giuliani? I mean, he kind of sounded like we were recruits and he was our drill sergeant. Not, not that I'd know how that would sound. No. Well, hon, as you know, I'm in the same bind Bernie was in. Neither of us can come out and criticize the incumbent, mm-hmm. but my surrogates can deliver the message of the business half of my slogan. Together? Stronger. Right. And uh, whether he knows it or not, our friend Mr. Assange certainly did us a favor. (laughs) He allowed us to take a much more muscular, robust stance towards Russia than the Trumpster can. Yeah. And whether he knows it or not, your friend, Mr. McAuliffe, should keep his mouth shut. I called him. Mm. He said he never thought it would blow up like that. It was just supposed to be a donor dog whistle. He's kind of sorry. You know, it's weird. 
until they came and taped me for the film or, or, or filled me for the tape. I can't keep that stuff straight anymore. But I hadn't even remembered that scene in the in the library with us. One of your researchers had to remind me. Yeah, we all like that one. Huma said after the focus groups heard that story, they all spiked sky high on human eyes. I didn't know you could get high on that. Cute. Still trucking. I'm going to pretend you said trucking. <laughs> so, what, she found the library story in my book? Or something. Mm-hmm. So, look, hon, I haven't got my schedule yet. Where am I going and when? And, and where? Work in progress. Just trying to look at states where you can make the most difference because, you know, the millennial voters don't remember you all that clearly, after all. Bernie's not 74. He is. Well, just don't let your kick-ass staff try to al-gore me, okay? Look how much good that did him. I may have lost a step, but I'm still the best thing you got going for you, aside from Chelsea and uh, if Obama decided to campaign full-time. And? And so? And me? Well, well, of course you. Listen, hon, one of the things I said the other night that I really meant was... How rock-steady you've been through all of everything. Thanks. Well, now it gets really hard. Mm -hmm. Our moles are saying they're going to revive the gallery of hairdos and say there's a different position for each look. (laughs) Frankly, hon, I don't think Donald Trump wants to get into a discussion about hair. (laughs) Well, that's true. But I'm a young 69. Young-ish. Look, I gotta get ready for an informal meet and greet. Okay, hon. Well, tell Chell I said hi and that she was great. Um, you know, you could call her and tell her yourself. I trust you. Thanks. Youthful angst and middle-aged desire to serve. Together they add up to Clinton something, the campaign years. by my side My heart is almost breaking with its tenderness and pride I bless the world for bringing you into my empty life And so I'll watch you while you're sleeping I thank you for joy and love you bring me every day For every precious moment that we share along the way So little time, so many words I might forget to say So then I'll watch you while you're sleeping I 
Till the day you leave me And I know one day you will I'll take such good care of you I'll guard you when you're ill For time is sadly fleeting And life must not stand still So till then I'll watch you While you're sleeping Till then I'll watch you While you're Ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Someone recently spotted a 2014 episode of the UK children's show Fireman Sam showing a character treading on a page of the Koran. Mattel, a spokesperson, has apologized. It's just an unfortunate incident where someone from the production company just thought they were putting in random text. We have no reason to believe it was done maliciously. Mattel apologized for any distress or offense. Dayline Rio, a near diplomatic incident as the mayor, Eduardo Pérez, those foreigners, put it, came to an end on Wednesday. The Australian delegation gave the mayor a tiny boxing kangaroo doll as the sign of a truce. It said it's now happy with its rooms at the athlete's village. Pérez apologized acknowledged Australia's was the worst building. Australia was right. It was not in good shape. That was a mistake of the organization, he said. At his off- as his offering, Pays gave the keys to the city to the Australian delegation head, Kitty Chiller. I said, Kitty Chiller. Ladies and gentlemen, Dayline Yangon, Myanmar, the U.S. Embassy in Myanmar, issued a public apology this week after a tear gas grenade accidentally exploded during a security exercise, sending fumes out onto the street and sparking rumors of a bomb. The embassy, located in Yangon, which we used to call Rangoon, said no one was injured in the incident and its operations were continuing normally. Goodness for normal. In Hebrew and English YouTube videos, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has reiterated an apology, appealing to Israel's Arab citizens and apologizing for a remark he made last election day, which to which many Arabs took offense. Before my election, I said Arab voters were going to the polls in droves. I was referring to a specific political party, but many people were understandably offended. I apologize for how my comment was misunderstood. He further urged Israel's Arab population to take part in our society in droves, work in droves, study in droves, thrive in droves, he said. A little uncomfortable to sleep in a drove, but anyway. In response, an Arab spokesman said, I speak on behalf of the Arab public when I say we don't buy your display of hypocrisy. Where can I get my hands on a late model drove? When two Texas A&M football assistants gave an instructional presentation at a female fan event this week, there were few laughs in the room of roughly 700 women. They were blocking tips for the women on how to be erect during the line of scrimmage, how the women volunteers shouldn't go down, and an amended fight song referencing kitchen cleaners and underwear. Some women in the room weren't laughing. 
Texas A&M has suspended two assistant coaches for their role in the incident. There's absolutely no place in our program or a university community for inappropriate conduct or degrading comments towards women or anyone regardless of intent, said A&M head coach Kevin Sumlin. The 50-year coach also apologized for the comments and for not reviewing the individual presentation slide about women filled with estrogen and innuendo-blocking tips such as bang them hard and spread them again. The blocking tips came during a demonstration involving offensive line coach Jim Turner and some volunteers. Well, he is offensive. What do you want? Donna Brazil, the new chair of the Democratic National Committee, she took over after Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigned following the WikiLeaks disclosure of internal DNC emails revealing that DMC staffers who were supposed to be neutral were actually thinking up ways of uh, submarining Bernie Sanders' campaign, such as calling into question whether he was Jewish or atheist. Anyway, Donna Brazil took over. Hillary Clinton quickly hired Debbie Wasserman Schultz to be part of her campaign, though. But anyway, Donna Brazil apologized for the party's email hack. With a humble heart, I want to say something as your vice chair. I sincerely apologize, my friends, for those of you who took offense and were offended, for those of you who feel betrayed and were betrayed by the ridiculous and insensitive and inappropriate emails released during the Democratic Party. A spokesperson for the FBI said the agency was investigating the release. And on behalf of everyone at the DNC, Brazil, continue, we want to offer a deep and sincere apology to Senator Sanders, his supporters, and the entire Democratic Party for the inexcusable remarks made over email. You know what's next. These comments do not reflect the values of the DMC. This is not us. This was not us. This was a different us that isn't us because this is not, that's not how. From the um, Richmond, Virginia Times-Dispatch on Thursday was brought to our attention, says a note to the readers, that a number of sections of this week's dining review appear to have been copied from a 2011 L.A. Weekly restaurant review. We discovered other Times-Dispatch restaurant reviews by freelance writer Elliot Schaffner, our dining critic, contain material that apparently was not original. We've removed all of Schaffner's reviews from our website. She she will no longer write for us. She acknowledged she used work that wasn't her own. She has apologized. We apologize for this ethical breach. Signed, Executive Editor of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Paige Mudd. I'm just reading him. not writing him. Actress Deborah Messing has apologized. Will and Grace Starr quickly apologized for attacking Blake Shelton, actually his girlfriend Gwen Stefani on Twitter, after he spoke nicely about Donald Trump. OMG, how? Please talk, Gwen Stefani, please talk to your man to not vote for the person who will strip you of your rights, Messing wrote in a now-deleted tweet, or a now-detweeted leak. In reply to Messing's message, Shelton responded, Hey, before this gets going like it always does, I haven't endorsed anybody for president, and I'm not going to. I don't do that crap. Shelton told Billboard he wasn't going to have a conversation with the mag about Trump or Clinton. I probably wish he said there was another option, but there's not. Messing apologized after Shelton got involved. Okay, I regret commenting. My passions got the better of me. Sorry. That's sweet. Girls at a church-run children's home were routinely drugged, locked up, and physically, emotionally, and sexually abused, a review has found. This is in England. Hundreds of girls sent to Kendall House in Gravesend in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, before it closed in 1986. An independent review set up by the Bishop of Rochester said the home was a place where cruelty was normalized. 
Girls were heavily sedated and placed in straitjackets. In an inquiry, the team said the findings are harrowing. It was a place where control, containment, and sometimes cruelty were normalized. Girls as young as 11 were routinely and often without any initial medical assessment. Given antidepressive sedatives and antipsychotic medication, drugs were administered in dosage exceeding usual prescribed adult levels to control girls' behavior, placing them in a constant stupor and restricting their ability to communicate. The uh, inquiry reviewed described the church's, this is the Church of England's, initial response to allegations about the place as woeful and inadequate. The administration of powerful drugs, she said, appeared to have an experimental approach. The evidence we've heard and read during this review, said the report, tells us of a place which was on the whole toxic and destructive to the girls placed there. The Church of England has apologized. The apologies, I feel better already. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And quickly, some news of the warm. Storing massive amounts of carbon dioxide underground may be a more effective tool for limiting global climate change than was previously thought. A study published in the journal Nature Communications shows the viability of plans to capture and store carbon in order to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Researchers studied carbon dioxide trapped naturally underground for about 100,000 years and found it has not corroded the cap rocks. These uh, layer of hard rock overlying and often covering a deposit of gas, oil, or coal, which suggests that storing greenhouse gases underground could be a viable option for stemming climate change. The carbon dioxide would have to be remain buried for at least 10,000 years to avoid contributing to climate change, but we got that on us. We can do things that last 10,000 years. Why just look at the... uh, the, um, and government offices have been shut and streets have been emptied in Iraq as summer temperatures hit uh, 127 degrees Fahrenheit, nearing the highest recorded in the country. The heat has been compounded by chronic power shortages. You're welcome, Iraq. Still, after all this time. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. of a study on whether it's possible to bury climate change deniers for 10,000 years, but we'll get to that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cables to Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBC Q the Planet. 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on... Soho Radio in London, available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com, available around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. 
and available as a free podcast. Who does that? At iTunes, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like re-evolving on TPP one more time, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau for the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program and a playlist of the music heard here on. And your opportunity to get Carside Talk t-shirts all at harryshare.com. And me, thank you for asking. I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. Join the noise. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.